Welcome to Journey in the Word with Pastor Randy Mosher of Calvary Chapel, the Cumberland Valley. We are located in Hagerstown, Maryland. Please join us every weekday as our pastor takes us verse by verse through a book of the Bible. Today, we're picking up in the book of Philippians. In this book, Paul calls the church in Philippi to live lives that reflect Christ, even in times of persecution. Remembering this, to live as Christ, to die as gain. So if you're able, grab your Bibles and join us as we continue our journey in the Word. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you this morning. Um, Lord, we thank you for for the Word that you've given us, for, for the Scriptures. But I'm especially grateful for this letter and the heart that's reflected in it by the Apostle Paul. Not his, but the heart that you put in him. This is a man who despised believers at one time in his life. This was a man who persecuted the believers at one time in his life. And and now we read a letter from this man to your people with a heart of love and fellowship and camaraderie, Lord. It can only be explained supernaturally. Lord, a man can't change his heart like this. Only you can do that. And Lord, you're doing that in us. And I pray this morning as we would read Paul's words that you would change our hearts like this. Lord, maybe we're not persecutors anymore of the church, but yet at times, Lord, we can be persecutors of your people in our own hearts, judging them and condemning them, Lord, and holding them to expectations that even you don't hold them to. I pray this morning, Lord, you would teach us the true meaning of fellowship, Lord, and and to stir in us a desire to be praying for and encouraging and standing with our brothers and sisters, just as Paul is doing here in this letter. We know this is a work of your Holy Spirit in these words. So let your Spirit speak to each and every one of us this morning, transforming us and changing us. And Lord, where I begin to stumble in my words, would you just let the congregation just hear your voice speaking? Let them see your word this morning from the scriptures. May it impact their hearts, my heart. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people prayed. Amen. Challenging message last week, huh? Bond servants. Got a lot of feedback from that from you guys. Just the challenge of that message to be bond servants, and Paul opens it up making that challenge to us that that's what he saw himself as. That's what God wants us to see ourselves as. And, and I'm just going to leave it at this again this week. We're not going to go back over the whole thing, but just to look at you and say, you and I will never be bondservants who are willing to step off the ledge. And just step off that ledge in, in, into that, that free fall of faith, of trusting the Lord and, and trusting that his ways are better than our ways, that he knows what to do with us better than we know what to do with us, knowing that what he has for our lives is much better than what we could ever, ever plan for our own lives. We are a planning people. We are, a, I mean, just by nature, we are people who want to plan every step of the journey for our lives. We want to figure it out from here to there. And God says, just follow me. Follow me. I, I got to tell you, I, I sometimes have problems with, I don't have problems with all the books, but just sometimes I have problems with all the books that are coming up with all the formulas for your life. You know, the plan for your life, everything's got to be laid out. You know what? There's only one plan given to us in Scripture for your life, and that's, that's faith in Christ and the salvation he provides. And beyond that, we're really not given this foot map 
other than follow my word, just follow me. But remember, it was Abraham who was called out to a land he didn't know. He didn't even know where he was going when he went, but he went by faith. And that's the plan that God has for our lives, but that's very uncomfortable. And so what we do is we look to people who can package things for us that make it a little bit clearer as to how I can order my steps to go in a direction that I think works for my life. But the problem with that is oftentimes where our steps will take us isn't the way the Lord would take us. His ways are not our ways and ours certainly are not his. So the question that we get faced with when we look at a book like this, and Paul begins by talking about what it is to be a bondservant, is this whole idea of am I a bondservant? Am I ready to just let go and, and follow the Lord to wherever it is that he's going to lead me, no matter how different it is than anything I've envisioned for myself? But I promise you this, if you do that, you will not come back empty. You'll find what you're looking for. You'll find your life developing in the way that you never could have imagined it to develop or to change it. And I'm telling you, when it's all said and done, you wouldn't exchange it for anything. You won't. You won't. Bondservants. And, of course, in verse 2, Paul's talking about grace and peace, the right order, right? Grace, peace. You don't find peace before you find the grace of God at work in your life. You can't try to do things to bring peace to your life through all kinds of religious rituals. No matter how good they are, at the end of the day, it's his grace that leads to peace. And if we understand that order, then everything else will take care of itself. And it's the same thing with being a bondservant, and the connection's clearly there, because you've got to understand it's about God's grace that makes you the bondservant. And this certainly is not, nor was it last week, a message that's pressing you to do all sorts of things to prove that you're a bondservant, because if you've chased out on that course, I'm telling you, you're ready off and running the wrong way, and you didn't listen to anything I said last week. There will be evidence, there will be visible things in your life that will be seen in being a bondservant, but, but if you're resting in the grace of Jesus, if you're trusting in the finished work that he's done on that cross for you, those things will begin to develop in you because he will change your heart, just as he's changing the apostle Paul's heart. I, you know, I believe even as Paul's writing this letter, his heart's still being changed. He's a work in progress. But all those years that, that he was so opposed to anything that... that, that you know, reeked of Christianity, God is working that out of his life now, and he's showing him something different. It's being worked out, but it's being worked out not by Paul's effort, but it's being worked out through the grace that God has given to Paul. And Paul understands that. Paul talks in other passages about the fact that, you know what, he's the chiefest of sinners. Can you imagine that? I, I just, when I read that, I just, it just blows my mind. I'm the chiefest of sinners, he says. And I think of the Apostle Paul and the righteous way in which he lived. But he talks about that in the Scriptures, doesn't he? He talks about he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He talks about unmatched righteousness in terms of outwardly kind of righteous behaviors, how he had it all together. This, he had the right religious life, and yet Paul realized that in the end, that right religious life was leading him to persecuting people, <laughs> persecuting the truth and pushing away from the truth. So when he finally realized that, as Jesus said, you're kicking against the goats, when Paul realized that the thing he was pushing against was Jesus and what Jesus, the reality of Jesus, then, then Paul finally just gave in to the grace of Jesus. And letters like this emerge. Letters like this emerge. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to pick up in verse 3 today. He says here, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I love that because when I read that, what I think of here is that when Paul isn't thinking about Jesus, he was thinking about his brothers and sisters in Christ. 
I mean, Paul, Paul had pretty much a two-track mind, right? It was really a one-track mind, but it led to a two-track, which is a good two-track. His, his first track is Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all he talks about. It's all he thinks about. It's what he's concentrating on. But when he isn't doing that, he is thinking about his brothers and sisters in Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. But isn't that scriptural to have that kind of two-track mind? That's not a divided mind. That's a scriptural mind. Because what does Jesus say? The essence of the law is to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. And what? To love your brother as yourself. It's Jesus lays that out, that it's a two-track mind, but it's really one, because that's his heart. And so Paul has this. When he's not thinking about Jesus, he's thinking about his brothers and sisters in Christ. Here it's the, the Philippian believers. But, but you can look at all the other letters, and you realize if it isn't the Philippian believers, it's the Roman believers. And if it's not the Roman believers, it's the Galatian believers. He's, he's thinking about these people who are his brothers and sisters in Christ. And literally what he's saying here is the fellowship that he had with the Philippian brothers and sisters formed the basis for his thanksgiving to God. He was grateful to the Lord for what he had in relationship with these people. I, I think that's what I was trying to get across this morning, maybe, maybe not quite as accurately as I could have, but I was trying to get across what was on my heart this morning in communion. We have something really special as believers. I, I got to tell you, honestly, I, I'm so grateful. And I, like Paul, I thank the Lord for you guys. I do. I thank the Lord for you guys continually. I don't thank them because you come here and sit and listen to me go on and on for hours. I thank them because we're in this together. That we're in this together. I listen, I've been in churches and, and I've wondered if I was in it together with them at times. But I know we're in this together. I've seen it from the very beginning, and it's an awesome thing. It's a neat thing to have that kind of fellowship that develops between people like this. And I can understand when Paul says, man, I, I thank God. It's the basis of my thanksgiving to God. And, and what Paul's saying is, I, I'm thankful not just because of what we have together, but because of what I see in you, what I see God doing in your life that gives us that, that, that common ground on which we stand together. So in other words, as he thought of his relationship with them, he couldn't help but give thanks to the Lord for them and for the things that he shared in common with them, most importantly, sharing in Christ together. You know, Paul was a man who loved fellowship. <laughs> Paul was a man who loved fellowship, whether it be with the Philippian believers or believers in other places. Paul loved being in fellowship with other believers. Listen, I love what he writes to the Romans. In Romans chapter 1, Verses 11 and 12, he says this. Romans 1, verse 11. For I long to see you. I long to see you. He didn't say, hey, I might stop by sometime. <laughs> I long to see you. I mean, I can't, you have that sense, I can't wait to see you. I just, I think about my trip and my journey to come and see you. I can't wait. I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Paul's idea of fellowship was give and take. It's that he grew as they grew. He wasn't some pious guy who just came around to impart to them some spiritual knowledge he had like the Pharisees would do, and that's what the Pharisees did. It's what Pharisees, modern-day Pharisees do today. They'll stand in their pulpits and they'll preach at you or at me but at the end of the day, it's almost as though they're above you and me, and there's no room for them to grow. But the idea in Scripture, and, and Paul's laying it out because this is God's heart, is that there would be this mutual exchange that takes place. It's the old concept of iron sharpens iron. 
Sometimes the iron is in, in, in the encouragement that, that we bring to one another. Sometimes it's in the challenges that we pose to one another. Sometimes it can even come through the conflict that we can have with one another. There are pastors, people in ministry. And it doesn't only have to be pastors. It can be people in ministry who can fear conflict, who can fear the difficult times that they have with people that they're serving with or, or, or maybe ministering to, and, and, and they look for ways to get away from that. The one thing I can tell you over 12 years, and I'd, I'd be a fool looking and say there's never been conflict over 12 years. Boy, that'd be a lie. There has been. I mean, sometimes it's just been playing spiritual warfare, you know. But I will tell you this, that in the beginning, I wanted to do this to the conflict. Now I'm not so also comfortable with it because I'm just not a conflict kind of guy. I'm just not by nature. But at the same time, I've learned this. I've learned that oftentimes through conflict, God teaches all of us. All of us. Sometimes there have been people in this body who've been right, and I've had to learn that. And sometimes they've been completely wrong, but I still learned from the experience. I still learn not about how to handle people like that, but what I learned was things in my own life about what I was depending on, who I was looking to in the middle, the attitudes that would creep into my heart. And God has made me a product of what I am today because of some of those things. Iron sharpens iron. Do you ever sharpen a knife? My mom used to use those old... You remember? I still have one in the class. You start really whacking on that with a knife, if you know how to do that, right? You know what starts to happen? Sparks start flying. I used to be afraid of that when I was a kid and I'd see that. And the old stones, too, that they used to... I mean, my uncle had one. He used to pedal it, and then he put the stuff on the farm instruments on it to do it. And they'd shoot sparks all over the place. But you know what? If he didn't do that, that, that sickle, that instrument would never be sharp enough to do what it was designed to do. And, and I think when we understand that, then we begin to see the big picture of what God is doing with us together. And so Paul writes to the Romans, and he says, man, it's about this mutual encouragement. It's about this mutual sharing of a gift with one another. And we always have to remember that. May I challenge you, as I challenge myself, to remember that. That even though God may put you in a place of, of leadership, maybe here in this fellowship or anywhere else, you know, in spiritual leadership, it could be over a Sunday school class, it could be over an adult kind of elective that we're doing. I mean, it could be even to teach from the pulpit. But whatever you're doing in that, remember that you're not above you may have a call for that moment and that time and that season, but at the end of the day, we're all just one in Christ. We're brothers and sisters. You know, the old, the old proverbial saying, you know, you get up, we all put our pants on the same way in the morning, you know, and tie our shoes. So as we realize that, then we begin to understand that there is this mutual exchange that takes place, and we're going to grow from that if we understand that. And that's Paul's heart, man. He loved to be with believers. It didn't matter, and, that, and that's how it should be for us. It should be that way, that we long to be with one another, that we just want to spend time with believers, just wanting to be where God's people are. But I sometimes fear that's not the case. And I don't just mean here, I just mean in general in Christianity today, maybe here at times. Yeah, that doesn't mean we need to be running in every time the doors of the church are open or every time there's an activity taking place. I've been in places like that too, and you can burn out very fast. But I am saying that, that there is just... I think sometimes more and more, maybe with the change in our society, the way it is, I mean, we're, I mean, the marriage unit is breaking up. Everybody's drifting apart. You know, it's almost like the world is pushing that, you know, that, that you just live your own life and just don't be bothered by anybody else because all it's going to do is bring trouble for the day. So just get off in your own world. I mean, we're teaching our kids that. They sit there for hours. I sit there for hours sometimes. 
Well, my wife sits aside of me saying, did you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I heard you. I heard you. Yeah, no problem. But I think sometimes for, for, for a lot of us, we're losing the sense that, that Paul had, that the first century church had, uh, of this camaraderie, this fellowship that exists between us. And the church has become more about a process and a ritual than, than it really is about what it's intended to be, God's people living in close and intimate community with one another. That's what it was designed to be. I mean, these people gave up everything. Now, look, I, I'm not a proponent, and I've said this before. I, I know that sometimes we want to go back and say, oh, we're going to model ourselves after a first-century church. Well, if you're going to do that, then we're going to sell the building, we're going to start meeting in homes, and we're going to do all kinds of other stuff. I don't think that, as I look at the Scriptures, that God's heart is that this is wrong, what we do, and the way we're doing it today. But I do think that, that the heart of what was in the first century ought to be in our hearts today. That same heart. They left everything, and all they had was one another. And, and in a sense, we may not be selling our houses or our property and living communally. I mean, there could come a time where we'd have to. Who knows? You know, but, but right now we're not in that season or time. But we still have been called to what? Leave the things of this world behind. And as we do that, that should feel pretty lonely in a sense. And, and that loneliness is intended for a reason, so it pushes us together so that that need would be met. Oh, yeah, through Jesus, we're never alone without Jesus, but, but Jesus is manifesting himself through all of us together. It's not like he's not there when I'm alone. He certainly is, but I'm just going to tell you, he's magnified when I'm standing in here in the midst of you all. And I hear you share something, and I know that's God's Spirit speaking to me. Or I hear you talking to one another, and I know that's God ministering to other people through you guys working with one another and, and talking and interacting with one another. And you know what? When that exists, the, the loneliness just kind of goes away. And all the things we left behind, we start to forget what we left behind because this is good. This is good. But I think we're losing that. I have, obviously, a benefit that many people don't have of, of having been in the military, but, you know, it's that old band of brothers idea, you know? It's not a movie, it's the truth, you know, band of brothers. And those that were in combat together really have that, but I don't care whether they're in combat or not. If you were in the military in any way, you understand that concept because you, you're around these people that you serve with 20, pretty much 24 hours a day. I mean, if you're married, you go home at night, but you're still thinking about them because the next day you're going to be serving alongside of them. It's, it's different than going to work at a factory. It's different than, it's just different. Unless you've been there, you don't understand that. But, and I don't mean that in a demeaning sense, but there is this camaraderie that exists because you know that tomorrow you could be deployed to combat. And if you are, these people that you're now with, that, that you're getting to know in the office setting or wherever you are, whatever unit you're in, th these men and women are either going to be depending on you and you're going to be depending on them. And, and maybe your survival together is going to depend about, upon the dependability of each of you to one another. And that builds a bond. A very, very strong bond. And do you get along all the time? Nope. Do you like each other all the time? Nope. But do you look past that because of what's before you? Yes. And because of that, there's a bond that forms that, oh, by the way, those dips of dislike or not getting along are kind of short-lived because over time you really learn to, to be one with the other and to serve alongside of them. But I think that if it's that way in the military for people who serve... Shouldn't it be more for us in Christ 
Shouldn't it be more for us in Christ who have God's Spirit living in us and unifying us together? I think it should. I think we of all people should be able to say we understand what it means to have a band of brothers and sisters. We understand what that camaraderie is all about. When we're apart, we're, we're longing to get back together again. We can't wait to see everybody again. We can't wait to be in the fight together. Do you know, do you know there's a weird phenomenon that takes place amongst soldiers in combat? It's happening today. If you read some of the accounts of these young men and women coming back from Afghanistan with horrendous wounds, they're fighting against the disability stuff when they're trying to put them out for their injuries or, or to put them on some kind of a status where they can't return to combat. They're fighting against that to go back. And the reason isn't because, well, we want to go fight this good cause. It's because they keep saying, I left friends there. I, I got to go, go back to my unit. I got to go back. That, that's mind-blowing. I mean, to most people, that's mind-blowing. But shouldn't it be that way for us? Yeah, we just, I got to go back. I, I got to be with these people. I got to be with them. Because we're joined together in what Jesus has called us to and what he's doing in and through us. You see, fellowship with one another is God's desire for us in this life. That's the kind of heart he wants us to have. Psalm 13, uh, 133, verses 1 through 3 says this. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing. Life forevermore. He's saying, man, we have, we have eternal life in God. And the psalmist says that because of that, man, it is just pleasant to be with others who have that same life. Do you, do you, you know, we know this is true, because even if we don't all live it all the time, how excited do you find yourself if you go someplace where you, where you don't expect to meet another Christian? I know I went to a, a high school reunion one time, and I'm coming up on my 40th this year. That gives away my age a little bit, but uh, the, the last time I was there was like my 20th reunion, and I come from a town where I'm convinced it, it could be totally godless. It's pretty much that town. And so when I went to this reunion, I'm figuring, you know, I'm going to be the only Christian in town. This is what it's going to be like. And I'm sitting at the table, and I'm talking to these fellow classmates, and I'm running into a few who, who know the Lord. And you pick it up. You know, you pick up a little statement here, a little statement there. You know how we do it. We probe. You know, we throw a little tidbit on the table, see who bites. And they're throwing out a little tidbit to witness. And they're trying to witness to me. And I said, do you, do you, do you follow Jesus? Oh, yeah. When did you give your life to Christ? And they'll start telling you their story. Do you know what I'm talking about? When that happens, how excited you get? This is exactly what the psalmist is talking about. Man, it's just, it's good. It's pleasant for us to dwell together in unity. It's neat to find another believer because God has put something in us that didn't used to be there. It wasn't even there with the crowd we hung out with at the bars. We didn't have that. Oh, I can't wait to see them again. No, we just want to go back for the next drink. If they happen to be there, okay, well, great. But there's something that God put in us that's very different, and it's designed to do this, to pull us together into this, this, this fellowship together in him. John 17, verse 21. John 17, verse 21. That they, Jesus says this in his prayer, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. You see, Jesus is saying, there it is. That's why I put this in you guys so that when the world looks at you, they see the camaraderie that you all have 
and it surpasses anything that they can comprehend. And it causes them to say, why, why don't I have that? Look at that. What's, what's causing these people who can be so different? I love you guys because you guys are all so different. You just are. You're really different. No, you are. I mean, you're, we're really different. And we come from so many different walks of life. And I've been in, I mean, I've been part of churches that it was pretty much, you know, plain Jane paper wrap. We all looked the same, talked the same. We all did the same things. This is a diverse group. And it's really neat to see that because it really speaks more of what Christ does in us than anything is if we're all alike. You know, I, I fear, you know, over the years and my prayer has been, Lord, please don't let us reproduce in our own image over time. May we always have a heart for people who aren't like I am or like you are. May we have a heart that God would just bring people in here who just are different than we are, but they find the place and there's this commonality between us that surpasses our differences because that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in that prayer. That that unity would exist that the world would know that we're in him. That's what existed in the first century. You had former Pharisees like Paul. You had others, you know, Nicodemus. You have, you have Joseph of Arimathea. You have, but then you have Peter the fisherman. You got the zealot crew. You know, you got all these people from all these different backgrounds and all these different ways. You have tax collectors. Yuck. We don't even like them today, do we? They have all these different walks of life, but they're all one. And the world is looking at them and saying, there is something going on. You remember what they said of, of Peter after he came out and says, one thing we know is that these men have been with Jesus. <laughs> you see, that's when I think when they look at us, they ought to be able to say that. These people have been with Jesus. We can tell because there's a, a bond between them that, that should not be there, but it is. As I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And note that also, Paul says that he thanks God for every remembrance, every remembrance he has of fellowship with them. In other words, Paul had found fond memories of his fellow saints in Philippi, but everywhere else too. And surely not every remembrance Paul had. I can't believe that every remembrance he had of everybody in Philippi was good. Certainly had to bump into somebody who didn't smell too good or somebody that just was rude or said things that he wouldn't have said. Surely there had to be in his years of being there people who he just didn't personally resonate with. But yet he's giving thanks for all of them. All of them. <laughs> I like what Paul says to, about the Corinthians, and, and he says this about people who really were pretty much rejecting him. They, did, they were accusing him of his ministry, whether it was legitimate. I mean, they, if the, there was a group in Corinth that if they could come up with a way to go after the Apostle Paul, they were doing it. And listen to what he even says to them. He says in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 15, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. He says, you know what? Man, I'm loving you more and more, and you're loving me less and less, but it don't matter. It just doesn't matter. I'm going to love you anyways. I'm going to love you even if it hurts. I'm going to do it. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. And that's what Jesus still does. He loves those who don't love him. He loves them. He loved you and me when we were thumbing our noses at him. He loves you and me when we get up on a particular day and say, well, I know your word says this, Lord, but you know what? I really have no interest in doing this right now. 
Because that's a rejection of him. It's every time you and I choose to go out and willfully engage in sin, we, we knowingly willfully go out and choose to engage in sin. And, and that sin is flying back to the cross of Calvary and being placed on him. He still says, I'm going to love you. Even though the more I love you, the less I'm loved, I'm still going to love you. So now he turns to us and he says, as I have done, so you do for one another. Love like this. Love like this. I like that. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Journey in the Word, a verse-by-verse teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel of the Cumberland Valley. If you would like to listen to more teachings or find out more information about us, go to www.journeyintheword.org. That's www.journeyintheword.org. Thanks again for listening. We hope you'll tune in for our next episode as we continue our Journey in the Word.